Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we are doing a Boomer Boulevard archive show that was first broadcast on the 15th of September back in 2014. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. chill off. It's a high tomorrow here in the Midwest, at least in the St. Louis area, it's supposed to be like 67, going down into the low 50s, high 40s at night. So it does feel like autumn football weather, I guess, and I like that. I like that. Glad to have you aboard. Come on in. Come on in. Join us. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is where we play old-time radio shows that we actually remember from when we were kids. Maybe we remember them from television, but many of us even remember hearing them on the radio. We have a good lineup tonight. We have a, a fun episode of The Frontier Gentleman, starring John Daner. We have an episode of The Halls of Ivy, and we're going to follow things up on the streets of Dodge City with an episode of Gunsmoke. So that's the lineup this week, and we're going to get started in just a minute.
We are going to listen to an episode of uh, The Frontier Gentleman that uh, I originally played uh, back in 2010. And since I did quite a bit of research or, or made some comments about John Daner, the star of the program, I thought I would just replay my comments from that time. So here they are. Okay, we are going to get started off tonight with an episode of Frontier Gentlemen. This one is from May 18, 1958. It features Vic Perrin, Virginia Gregg, Jack Crucian, Harry Bartell, all those uh, great Hollywood radio actors. The name of this episode is Advice to the Lovelorn. And of course, it features John Daner as the Frontier Gentleman. I was doing a little research on John Daner. He was born in uh, 1915 on November 23rd in Staten Island. He was the son of an artist, and so consequently he spent much of his youth moving around through Europe. He returned to the U.S. in his teens, and he briefly tried his hand at stage acting. But it was while working for the Walt Disney Studios as an assistant animator, working on the uh, motion picture Fantasia, and I think he also worked on Bambi, that he volunteered for the Army. Uh, during World War II, he served as a publicist for the Army, and his assignment was to cover the flamboyant General George S. Patton. When uh, Daner completed his war service, he worked in radio for several years as a disc jockey, a newsman, a commentator, and then eventually an actor. He also was a professional pianist. He worked in every medium, but his first leading role was in 1947's Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. Daner was a highly esteemed and versatile character actor. His distinctive baritone voice and timing was instantly recognizable in whatever role he voiced in radio. But in fact, throughout his radio performing years, he was just as active in film and television, appearing in over 280 films and television episodes between 1945 and 1988. We'll talk just a little bit more about John Daner uh, at the end of the uh, Frontier Gentleman, but here it comes. From May the 18th, 1958, this is the Frontier Gentleman, Advice to the Lovelorn. I learned two things in Cheyenne. One, that Hucky Dummy is baking powder bread with raisins. The other, that love's labor is not always lost, even if you don't know how to use a gun. Frontier Gentlemen. with an Englishman's account of life and death in the West. As a reporter for the London Times, he writes his colorful and unusual stories. But as a man with a gun, he lives and becomes a part of the violent years in the new territories. Now, starring John Daner, this is the story of J.B. Kendall, Frontier Gentleman. spent a week in Chugwater with hyena Bob Saunders, who ran the Cheyenne and Black Hills stage station. Now, I was on my way back to Cheyenne to send off to the London Times one or two of the more choice stories he had told me. There was only one other passenger in the stage with me, a man in his middle twenties. He introduced himself as Tom Hart. He was well-dressed, and at first glance, I took him to be an Easterner. No, 
I was born in Kansas, reared in Montana territory. Now I call Wyoming my home. How about you? Uh, born in England. I'm trying to make a living writing writing articles on the West for the London Times. Oh, you been in Cheyenne yet? Oh, yes. How are things? Well, uh, that's hard to say. I haven't seen too much of it. Three years since I was there. I guess the town's changed, huh? <laughs> but this road sure hasn't. <laughs> well, Cheyenne's thriving, I can tell you that. Yeah, I've heard. Big cattle interest. I gather you're coming back from the east. <laughs> These fancy dude clothes, huh? Yeah, I've been in the east and other parts. Men gets tired of drifting, though. Comes time to go home, that's where I'm headed. Cheyenne? Yeah. I made me some good money. Now I figure to get married, raise a flock of kids. That's a worthwhile project. There's a girl in Cheyenne, Kendall. Sweet, been writing. Leastways, up to a year back, I got a letter from her when I was in New York. I wish you luck. Thanks. You married? No. Well, they say it ties a man down, but... I figure if a gal's got her mind made up for marriage, you might as well drop your rope on her, because if you don't, somebody else is going to. I see you have the the philosopher's attitude toward marriage. Well, I don't know about that, but I've been lone wolfing long enough. Carrie's her name. Carrie Hudson. Used to be a cookie pusher up at the Blue Star Cafe. A cookie pusher? A waitress. Oh, I'll tell you what, when we get in town, you come on up with me to the Blue Star. Used to have the best eats in town, I guess they still do. I'll be proud to have you meet, Carrie. We spent the rest of the journey discussing matters of both consequence and triviality. Hart had received no formal education, but his travels had given him a certain sophistication, and the time passed pleasantly. When we arrived in Cheyenne, I tried to persuade him that his fiancée would be much happier to greet him alone, but Hart would have none of it. He insisted that I accompany him, and so together we walked to where he knew the Blue Star Cafe to be. Charlie Bannister runs the place. Charlie looks like bad medicine. Some says he used to be a short trigger man, but it ain't true. By the way he looked after Carrie, you'd think she was his own daughter. I sure had to play it straight before Charlie let me start riding herd on the gal. Say, listen, you hungry? A little. You wait till you taste Charlie's hockey dummy. He used to be a range cook, and there's never been a man made hockey dummy the way Charlie makes it. Hey, that's funny. Huh. Looks as though it's closed. It does for a fact. First time I ever knew the blue started closed. You see anybody moving around in there? No. Hmm. What? She's open. Hello, Charlie? Whoever you are, come on in back. I sure don't figure. Hey, Charlie, you'll... What do you say, Tom? Charlie, this is a fellow I met on the stage coming in, J.B. Kendall. How are you? Hello, Charlie. What's happened? How'd you get like this? 
I guess you ain't heard. There was a shoot-up in here a year or so ago. Carrie. Is Carrie all right? When it was finished, the boys had done the shooting, robbed me, and I tailed it out. I ain't moved from the bed since, Tom. What about Carrie? She ain't here no more. Well, where'd she go? Ask Jack Feeney up to Holloman Saloon. I'm asking you, Charlie. And I ain't saying. You and me was friends, Tom. I just leave, keep it that way. Now, what's Jack Feeney got to do with it? What, Charlie? All right, I'll tell you. Carrie took a shine to him while you was gone. That's a lie. I told Feeney to leave her alone. There was words. I threw him out. Same night he comes back with one of his boys and they fill me full of lead. Well, wasn't this Feeney arrested then, Charlie? Sure, but it was his word against mine and Carrie took his side and swore at the trial it was someone else had come in and shot me up. Is she with Feeney now? I ain't seen her since that day. Hey, Tom, boy, while you're here, pump me a jug of water, will you? Old Doc Thorne says I got a drink, plenty of water. And Mrs. Carroll's been helping out, but she ain't showed up yet today. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I'll be right back, Charlie. Thank you. I ain't got the stomach to tell him all the truth of it. You'll have to find out sooner or later for yourself. She married Feeney. Oh, when? Yeah. Right before the trial. Guess it was partly my fault. I should have seen it. Gary getting lonesome waiting for Tommy and Feeney coming in here. His fancy spending ways. He runs a gambling in Holloman Saloon. Well, next thing you know, Carrie's looking cow eyes at him. Well, don't you think it'd be better to tell Hart now about the marriage? Say, listen, you keep an eye on him, will you? Tom's got a bad temper. He gets it in his head to start trouble, there's likely to be a killing. All the more reason to tell him then. This way, he'll go up to the saloon looking for her. Yeah, I guess you're right. It wouldn't be so good. Here's your water, Charlie. Is there anything else I can do for you? Yeah. Stay away from Holloman's saloon. I lied to you before, Tom. She's there with Feeney. They're married. Is there anything else I can do for you, Charlie? Reckon not. Hey, hey, come on back and see me if you've a mind to. I'd sure like to hear about your travels. I'll do that. So long. You take it easy, Tom. Uh, goodbye, Charlie. You, you take it easy, Tom. Well, I guess I'll be seeing you, Kendall. Where will you go, Tom? Not that it's any of your business, but I guess you ask out of kindness. I'm going up to Holloman's saloon and have me a few drinks. Oh, well, mind if I come along? No. No, I don't mind. We walked down the main street. I knew it was pointless to tell him that trying to see his girl was the worst thing he could do to himself. I rather liked him, and I suppose that's the reason I went with him. He didn't say a word until we reached the saloon. Then he said... You go ahead, Kendall. I'll meet you in there in a few minutes. I got an errand to do first. Well, I'll come with you. I don't mind. I do. Just order me a bottle of whiskey. I'll see you inside. All right. Well, hello, stranger. You're a little early, but what's your pleasure? Cards? A dance? Drink? Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I'm looking for Carrie... Oh, for what? Are you Carrie? Yes. Um, can we sit at the table? I don't sit with customers, mister. 
That's for the girls. You want to talk business, you can talk to my husband. A friend of yours is in Cheyenne. Tom Hart. Tom? He's just heard about you. He'll be coming in here in a minute. I thought you ought to know. Thanks, mister. How... How did he take the news? He got it from Charlie. Well, he'll probably get very drunk. I imagine I'd do the same. He won't make trouble. I'll try to see that he doesn't. Has he said anything about me? Only that he was expecting to marry you. He didn't write. I thought... Doesn't matter. Anybody got the price of a drink in his pockets, welcome. That goes for Tom Hart as well as the next man. You want a table, mister? Uh, yes, a table would be fine. This way. What are you drinking? Oh, beer, I think. Uh, yes, and a bottle of whiskey. My husband. Jack doesn't like him. I wouldn't want Tom to get hurt on account of me. Will you get him out of here if he's looking for someone to sharpen his horns on? I'll do my best. Thanks. Beer and a bottle of whiskey, Lister. Beer and a bottle of whiskey. Well, where's the drinks? On their way, Tom. <laughs> What's the gun for, Tom? She's right clean and shining, ain't she? Set me back $20. Put it away. Uh-uh. I bought it and I aim to use it. As soon as I get drunk enough, I'm going to kill me a skunk called Feeney. and I sat at a table in Holloman's saloon, and between us lay a brand new 44 revolver. After a moment, Tom picked it up and slowly rotated the cylinder. He didn't turn as Carrie came toward us, didn't look up as she put down my beer and Tom's bottle of whiskey. Yes, sir, it's a mighty pretty talking iron. How are you, Tom? Hmm? Oh, Carrie. Yeah, I, I heard you was here. Well, you're looking good. You know, back east, they, they drink a toast to new married folks. So I drink to you, Carrie. Well, where's your husband, Mrs. Feeney? Jack's out. Don't make trouble, Tom. What's done is done. That's the way you see it, huh, Carrie? You never wrote. I didn't have to. You were my girl. I told you I'd be back, but you couldn't wait. I waited two years. You was in such a hurry, you had to get Feeney to put Charlie out of the way, too. That's hmm? not so, Tom. Charlie, he's lying in bed. He don't move anything but his arms anymore. Your husband did a right fine job. You ain't even been to see him since. That doesn't do much good, you know. She's not the same anymore. At first I thought she was, but she's not. She was a girl... A nice girl when I left. She got too much paint now. Looks like a honky-tonk woman. Finish your drink, we'll go. There's time. There's plenty of time. I want to have a talk with Jack Feeney. He shot up a friend of mine, you remember? 
You want to leave, it's all right, Kendall. You go ahead. I'll stay. You want a whiskey to chase down that beer? No, thank you. You know why I'm going to get drunk? <laughs> I've got a rough idea. Yeah? How rough? Well, Tom, you know you really haven't got any right to start trouble with Feeney. What about Charlie? What about him? The court said Feeney was innocent. Charlie says he did it. And if you shoot Feeney, they'll find you guilty. What'll you prove? She said she was going to wait. She said she loved me. <laughs> oh, ain't that a laugh? Love. That's why you're getting drunk. Then you'll be able to get angry without thinking. You talk too much. Well, you asked me. <sighs> Where'd she go? Up the stairs. Hey, you figure she was lying. Maybe Jack Feeney's here. She's going up to tell him. I don't know. Well, I'm going to find out. No, I wouldn't. No, uh, sit down, Tom. Give me that gun, Kendall. Now, you sit down. You're not that drunk yet. And you're not going up there to start shooting. Give me the gun. No. You're bigger than me, but I ain't afraid to tangle with you. I didn't say you were. All right. I'm going up there without a gun. Oh, don't be a fool. Tom. Don't rile me, mister. Tom, she's married to him. You'll find another girl. Hey, where are you going? How come you're going up to me in my wife's rooms? I figured to find you there, Feeney. Well, Tom Hart. That's right. I stepped out for a while. If I'd known you was going to pay a visit, I'd have come back sooner. Have you seen my wife, Tom? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen her. Well, we'll have to get her down and have a friendly drink together. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting your friend. J.B. Kendall. Put her there, Kendall. Carrie! Come on down. Hey, Lester, bring a bottle of champagne. I didn't come to drink with you, Feeney. I came to kill you. Well, sure, you can do that any time, but you'll have a drink first, huh? Here, sit down, boys. When'd you get back in town, Tom? Today. And I seen Charlie. Yeah? I heard about Charlie. You know, it's too bad him getting shot like that. The way Charlie tells it, you did the shooting. Poor fella. They say it made him a mite loco. Here's your champagne, Mr. Feeney. Uh, and here comes the prettiest little woman in Cheyenne. Sit down, Carrie. I hear you've met Mr. Kendall here. And Tom? Yes. Well, it's like old times. Except a thing or two has changed. I got me a new wife... What'd you get back east, Tom? I'm telling you something, Feeney. I had a gun, which a friend of mine didn't figure I was drunk enough, or, or maybe sober enough to use. Well, I'm going out and get another one. And the next time I see you, I'm going to be using it. He sure is excitable, ain't he? You figure he's still galling over you, Carrie? What does it matter? What do you think, Kendall? I think that Tom Hart's in a mood for murder. Whether it's because of your wife, Charlie, I don't know. Jack didn't shoot Charlie, Mr. Kendall. I know he didn't because we were together that night. That's true. Must have been a couple of cowboys dropped into Charlie's place or robbed him, gave him lead poison, but it wasn't me. Why does Charlie say it was? 
That was at the trial he said it then, too. Of course, my lawyer, he showed where it was dark in Charlie's cafe, and Charlie couldn't rightly tell who was in there that night. Charlie figured it was me because we'd had words the same day. I think I better find Tom. Now, don't you go worrying, Kendall. You cool down. Besides, Tommy ain't no kind of a hand with a gun, and he knows it. If he comes looking for me, we'll take care of him. Which was exactly what I was afraid of. I spent the next hour going from one saloon to the next, looking for Tom. I couldn't find him. And so I went back to see the one person who I thought might be able to help. No, he ain't come back here. Took it bad, huh? Yes. Yeah, it's a trouble with that boy. Everything nice and easy with him. Never could figure what he was really thinking. But when he busted loose... Charlie, are you still positive it was Feeney who shot you? Sure am. Well, Carrie says he was with her that night. She's lying. Why would she lie? Well, don't ask me how come a woman does what she does. I think the one reason that Tom's going after Feeney now is a matter of pride. He doesn't want to back down. He'll use you as an excuse. I don't need any man to fight my war. Do you think there's any chance, even a remote one, that it was dark that night you were shot and perhaps you were mistaken about Feeney? Well, I guess there's a chance, but... Charlie, if I can find Tom, if he knows that, if you'll tell... Shh! Time. Carrie. Is he here? No. I had to come. I don't want him to get hurt. I wanted to talk with him. Ain't much for you to say, seems to me. I made a mistake. I'm not making another. It was Jack shot you, Charlie. I lied for him. Uh-huh. He said if I didn't either he or his boys, it'd get you for good. He said he'd kill me, too. Then why'd you marry him? I had to. That doesn't matter now. We've got to find Tom. Jack sent two of his boys out looking for him. He wants to kill Tom. Why? I guess he knows. He's always known how I feel. I'm going back to the saloon. You'd better stay here, Carrie. Couldn't find him, huh? No. Well, he's probably sobered up by now. He'll be all right. Yeah, nice fella, Tom. Just a little too hot-headed for his own good, that's all. Well, I imagine when a man comes home and finds his girl married to another man, it can be a little upsetting. Sure, sure. And then, seeing a good friend of his lying paralyzed, shot by the man who married his girl, it's likely to make a chap unreasonable. Even though he's wrong, yeah? I see what you mean. Then, if... if... He finds out that the girl's husband forced her to lie. And if he finds out that the girl still loves him, he'd be in quite a state. Yeah, that wouldn't be so good, would it? Hmm. Now, if I were the husband, I'd want to get rid of that fellow. Say, a fellow like Tom. Because my life wouldn't be safe for one minute. I'd send some men out looking for him with orders to shoot on sight. You got any more ideas along that line? Well, if... A man like Tom had a friend. The friend wouldn't want to see Tom, uh, bushwhacked, I think is the word. That friend is talking himself into a mite of trouble. <laughs> you think so? Then the friend would make another suggestion. Yeah. The husband is quite obviously a most unpleasant person. And the best thing he could do would be to give his wife a divorce so that she can live a decent life with Tom Hart. I'm back, Feeney. Yeah, I see you are, Tom. Candle, get away from me. I'm giving him a chance to draw, which is more than he did for Charlie. You heard him, Kendall. It's a fair fight. I heard. 
Tom, look out. Behind you. Thank you, Kendall. Oh, not at all. Those are two of Mr. Feeney's chums. They've been looking for you. Now, Feeney, you were saying something about a fair fight. Now, listen, Tom. Draw. I ain't fighting with you. You ain't got the guts of a lizard. Draw. I told you, I ain't... Hey, son of a gun! I ain't fighting. Well, I ain't... Oh, my. Sounded as though you broke his jaw, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't. I think Mr. Feeney will be leaving town. I also think he'll want to give Carrie a divorce. Oh? I thought you might be interested. Incidentally... What would you have done if he had drawn on you? I don't know. Never thought about it. He probably would have killed me. Yes. I think he would. Well, I'll take care of the arrangements here. You better go over to Charlie's now. Carrie's waiting. Waiting? For me? Well, I don't imagine it's for me. Frontier Gentlemen was written, produced, and directed by Anthony Ellis and stars John Daner as J.B. Kendall. Featured in the cast were Vic Perrin, Virginia Gregg, Jack Crucian, and Harry Bartell. Music was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Join us again next week for another report from the Frontier Gentlemen. John Wall speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network. From May 18, 1958, that was the Frontier Gentlemen. The name of that episode was Advice to the Love Lord. Wasn't that good? John Dana really was versatile. He, uh, he started his career in radio as uh, a news reporter with KFWB in Los Angeles. And he actually uh, garnered the coveted Peabody Award for his coverage of the first United Nations Conference on International Organization that was held in San Francisco in April of 1945. And he was also voted the best radio voice by Radio Life magazine. He um, remains one of the 25 most fondly remembered and respected male actors of the golden age of radio leaving his mark on virtually every major media endeavor of the 20th century in one capacity or another. If you think about it, he was a radio actor, he was a film actor, he was a television actor, he was a professional musician, and he was an animator. Mr. John Daner. You know, I was watching an episode of Twilight Zone, oh, a month or two ago, uh, one of the ones from the early 60s, late 50s, and John Daner was featured on it, and he was very good. Very good. All right, this is a song that was popular on the country charts back in around 1980. I think it got up to number 10. I was a big country music fan back then. Some of the really golden sounds of country music, but I always like this one a lot. And you don't hear it played very much when they play oldies, but it always reminds me of the Frontier Gentleman. See if uh, see if you don't agree. (laughs) 
In the airport lounge he sat With his cane and derby hat The grandest man that I had ever seen Outside the heavy rains Had grounded all the planes So I asked him if he'd like some company In my rhinestone-studded suit My cowgirl high-heeled boots I guess I was a sight for him to see But he said, pull up a chair As I fumbled with my hair More unlikely pair you'll never see I was Morgan David White He was shabbily 59 There was set the cowgirl and the dandy He was ski resorts in Aspen And summers in Paris I was country music, Nashville, Tennessee The cowgirl and the dandy As different as could be But it seems so right that rainy night in Tennessee Then somewhere in between Is Harvey's Bristol Queen And the beers that I kept sipping At the table We somehow came together For a night of stormy weather Now there's a little bit of class In this old cowgirl And there's a little bit of country In the dandy I was Morgan David White He was shabbily 59 But there we lay The cowgirl and the dandy He was ski resorts in Aspen And summers in Paris I was country music Nashville, Tennessee He was ski resorts in Aspen Summers in Paris. I was music, Nashville, Tennessee.
That was Brenda Lee with a song that she made popular back in 1980 entitled The Cowgirl and the Dandy. You know, as boomers, when we were kids, we didn't just buy our favorite songs on records. We also bought comedy albums like Bob Newhart. Thank you, Dean. This, this has to do with inventions and, and how it takes like 40 or 50 years before an invention is really recognized as being a great invention. When they first come out, no one recognizes what an advancement they are, like the telephone or the electric light or the airplane. They were thought of as, as rich man's playthings when they first came out. But, and also the tobacco industry. Today, as you know, is a multi-billion dollar business, but came to us from very humble beginnings. It was uh, brought to the attention of civilization by Sir Walter Raleigh, who was working for the West Indies Company here in the colonies. And the uses of tobacco are not obvious right off the bat. If you tried to explain tobacco to someone who was not familiar with it, it would not be an easy task. So I imagine a phone conversation between Sir Walter Raleigh and the head of the West Indies Company in London, England, and I imagine it went something like this. Now, who, uh, who, who is it, Mary? Sir, 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 Sir Walter Raleigh from the colonies, huh? <laughs> yeah, 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 put, uh, put, put him on, uh, put him on, would you, Mary? <laughs> uh, Harry, Harry, you want to pick up your extension? Yeah, it, it's Nutty Wall again. Yeah. <laughs> well, hi, Wall guy. Well, it, it's great hearing your voice again. It, it sure is, Walt. Th- things are fine here in England, Walt. Did, did, did the what? Did, did the boatload of turkeys arrive? All right. Yeah, they, uh, they arrived fine, Walt. Uh, they're, they're, they're still here, as, as a matter of fact, Walt. They're wandering all over London, as, as a matter of fact. Yeah. See, that's, uh, that's only an American uh, holiday, Walt. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, you, ha- you have another one, uh, another winner for us, uh, uh, do you, Walt? Uh, to- tobacco. Uh, what, 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 what is tobacco, Walt? That, that's, that's a sort of leaf. And, and you, you, you bought 80 tons of it. Huh? <laughs> let me, uh, let, let me just, just make sure I, I have this right now, Walt. You're, uh, you're, you're, you're sending us 80 tons of leaves. Is, is that right, Walt? Huh? <laughs> Walt, this, uh, th- this may come as a, a little bit of a surprise to you. Uh, see, come, come fall here in England, Walt. Yeah, we're, we're, we're sort of up to our... It, is, it isn't that sort of leaf. Uh, it, it, it has a lot of different uses. What, what, uh, what are some of the uses, Walt, since, since we are getting 80 tons of this stuff? Uh, what, Walt, are, are you saying snuff? Uh-huh, what, 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 what is snuff, Walt? You, you, you take a pinch of tobacco, <laughs> and, and, and you shove it up your nose, Walt. <laughs> and, it, and it makes you sneeze. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess, I, I guess it would at that, uh, wouldn't it, Walt? <laughs> Gee, a, a goldenrod seems to do it uh, pretty well here, Walt. <laughs> Walt, well, does this, does this to- tobacco have, have any other uses, you know, just, just on the off chance that this, uh, this snuff didn't, didn't catch on right off the bat? <laughs> you, you can chew it or, or, or put it in a pipe <laughs> or, or, or you can shred it up, put, put, put it on a piece of paper. Roll up the piece of paper. <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell me, Walt. Walt. 
you, you, you stick it in your ear, right, Walt? <laughs> Between your lips, Walt, huh? <laughs> then, then what do you do to Walt? about you, Walt. <laughs> Ever since you put, you put your cape down over all that mud, Walt. A <laughs> lot, lot of people have a cigarette right, right after their first cup of coffee in the morning. <laughs> Walt, I'm, I'm almost afraid to ask, Walt. What's, what's, what's coffee, Walt? <laughs> that, that's a drink you pound out of beans, eh, Walt? <laughs> I'll tell you what, Walt. Uh, why not send us a, a boatload of those beans, Walt? I mean, if you can sell people on, on sticking burning leaves in their mouth, uh, they, they gotta go for those beans, Walt. No, no question about it. Well, nice, nice talking to you, Walt. And, and listen, Walt, next, next time, don't call us. We, we'll call you. Right. Good, good. Bob Newhart. Boy, he, uh, that was classic. And what was unique about him, I was just listening to an interview with him on a, on a, on a podcast with Mark Marin. And he was uh, talking about how this record was produced and became a bestseller when he was still unknown, which was very unlike all the other comedians of that era who had put in many of them years in vaudeville and uh, on radio and that sort of thing. But he was a classic. I think of some of those great, great comedy albums like Shelley Berman and Bob Newhart and uh, later, George Carlin and, and some others, but uh, Bill Cosby, of course. But we, we did. We bought a lot of comedy albums back there in the 50s and 60s.
All right, I was working on uh, the Old Time Radio Show website this week. I've got it all up to date now, by the way. I'm going to start putting the new shows on podcast. So at any rate, the list of shows is updated now, and I've got every show on there through uh, through our last one. So any shows you want to hear that we've done in the past, you could go on to the oldtimeradioshow.com, and I've got a list of all the shows we've ever played. I've got them both um, in the order in which we played them on the shows, and I also have them listed by program. So if you want to go in, for instance, and see if we ever played an episode of the Halls of Ivy from such and such a date uh, with this episode title, you can you can find it very quickly. All right. Now, I know I digress. <clears throat> For those of you uh, in Delray Beach that have short attention spans, just bear with me for a minute. I know I have to uh, kind of spell things out for you folks down there. But at any rate, as I was doing this this week, I was playing some of the older shows in the background, listening to them. And this was an episode of the Halls of Ivy. It's funny, at the time I commented, I, I wasn't too crazy about it. But to be honest, I think it's kind of a funny episode. So I thought what I'd do is just go ahead and play this. I think I haven't played this since 2010. So uh, I'm going to play it with the comments that I made on the show back at that time. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications, nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. Well, for our comedy tonight, we're going to go back to 1950 and listen to an episode of The Halls of Ivy. It originally aired on October the 11th of that year on NBC. This is kind of a silly episode. Nothing very serious about this one. It's probably not one of my favorites, but it's not one you hear often. It's not played very often, so I thought I'd go ahead and share it. It has to do with the Hall's phone problems. And if you know, one of the running gags in the show was that they... Do you remember this? (laughs) Before they came out with um, wireless phone sets... If you wanted to have mobility with your phone, you had to have a really long extension cord. And sometimes, uh, I can remember, not never in our house, but some of my friends, they would have extension cords that would run uh, uh, 50 feet. Because back then, I, I guess in the 50s, it was not normal for a house to have phone jacks in every room. I think that came later. So you might have one phone jack in your house or maybe two at the most, and you would take this long extension cord. So there was always this cord running through the house on the halls of Ivy, and they were never able to find their phone when it was ringing because they would move it around the house. So they would end up trying to find the wire and then uh, follow the wire uh, to the phone. So on this occasion, the halls are having, well, they're trying to address the problem. In fact, As I recall, they're requesting a longer cord. From October the 11th, 1950, this is the Halls of Ivy. And the name of this episode is simply Phone Problems. (laughs) 
Joseph Schliff Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, presents The Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. When there's beer on your mind, your best thought is Schlitz, the beer that made Milwaukee famous. More people like the taste of Schlitz than any other beer. That's why Schlitz is the largest selling beer in America. And now, the Halls of Ivy. Surround us here today, and we will not forget, though we be far away. Welcome again to Ivy, Ivy College, that is, in the town of Ivy, USA. The inimitable Dr. Johnson once observed that there must be a time in which every man trifles. And the only choice that nature offers us is to trifle in company or alone. Dr. William Todd Hunter Hall, president of Ivy, has made his choice. He prefers to share his trifling, as well as all other things, with his wife, the former Victoria Cromwell of the London stage. Now, Josiah Todd Hunter... Dr. Hall's maternal grandfather was no trifle in his time, and neither is the moving of his portrait. Now, wait a minute, Toddy. Grandpa's shoulder's sagging. Hitch up his left side a little, see? Yeah, I know, dear. This wire's in the way. It's got hey, a don't, 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 try, don't try and talk. You swallow the nail. Here, here's the hammer. Go oh. ahead. I'll hold the ladder. Now, watch out, darling. Mm. Grandpa's on the floor again. Yeah, just like Grandfather, always resisting change. <laughs> he was a reactionary of the most virulent type. Although antedating the automobile, he saw life almost exclusively through a rear-view mirror. <laughs> I wondered why he looked so grim. <laughs> Would you smile if you'd been dropped on your ear? Yeah, but he's always looking that way, Toddy. Yeah, because he was always falling on his ear. <laughs> Ever since that time near the Chickahominy in 1862, in our war between the states... And now, if you'll hand me my grandfather, Vicky, I'll try to hang him again. <laughs> Here he is. There. That's solid. Well, Vicky, what do you think of him there? I'm not sure. Darling, tell me, what, what did Chica have to do with harmony? Well, my grandfather, uh, regarding us so malignantly from the wall was in the fighting along the Chickahominy River during the Civil War. Well, which war was Gramps in, the Civil War or the war between the states? Um, <laughs> Vicky, a trifle more regard for the history of your country by marriage would reveal the fact that they are or were one and the same war. Oh. Well, then why didn't you call it, it the same thing? It is considered in certain circles, just why, I do not know, that the phrase war between the states is a more courteous term. If so, I am willing to use it, even though it is a euphemism. And I dislike most euphemisms. Uh, but this is a very educational few minutes, Doctor. Uh, are you an expert on euphemia? Um, I, I don't know. I've never been there. Where? <laughs> euphemia. I never heard of it. I don't know how you get so confused the way you do. It's, it's... <laughs> 
I, I thought we were talking about euphemisms. But we were. Are you an expert? No, 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 Vicky, no, not again. Oh. Anyway, a euphemism is a ladylike term applied to a man-sized fact. Oh, it's a sort of literary anti-Macassar. Oh, 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 very good. Excellent. <laughs> it, well, very good. Although, although Grandfather doesn't seem to like it. He doesn't seem to like anything, the old sourpuss. I'm not sure I like it myself. You know, this side of the room has suddenly become top-heavy. It's not the picture, darling. I think it's the sofa. It belongs under the window. Well, then under the window it goes. Just think, Vicky. Grandfather, who resisted all change, has now become responsible for it. That's the trouble with most of us. We resign ourselves to the familiar, go through every discomfort to keep things as they are, when a little enterprise and imagination could give us a new perspective, mm. widen the horizon of our living. All because of your grandfather. Well, it took a bit of doing, but we found some good in him, didn't we? Well, now, let's get going. Now, you push, and I'll steer. All right. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. <clears throat> now, that, a bit more. Yep. That's it. No, wait, no, Tony, wait, wait. The carpet's all bunched up. Oh, well, that's easily fixed. Now, when I lift the sofa, you, you smooth out the rug under this end. You ready? Ready. All right, up you go there. You got it? Is it smooth? Well, the rug's all right, but you're a bit hard to smooth. You're standing on it. Oh, oh. Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> uh, is, is this better? Well, it is squinch a little. All right, I'm squinched. That's uh, better. Is that better? Now, you hold it steady. I will. Uh, oh, my. Uh, what's the matter? What a pity. Look at that hole. Just look at it. It's a burn, I guess. Uh, Victoria. I've been trying so hard to make that rug last. You'd never suspect that behind a sofa... Uh, Victoria! Right place was a, well, it wasn't even worthwhile for me to give up my pipe. I uh, Victoria! <laughs> what is it, Toddy? All my life I've tried to hold up my own end, but there comes a time... <laughs> ...to let go. <laughs> No hole in the carpet anymore. It's in the floor now. I think the sofa will stay where it is, Victoria. <laughs> well, I don't know, Toddy, there's still something wrong. It... Well, while you decide what it is, I'd better answer the door. Yeah, it must be the cleaner, darling. He promised to bring back my pink coat and skirt this morning. Yes, well, don't try and move anything else while I'm gone. Let me see now. Even that wind chair over here. And then the coffee table had to go there. Even if I put that chair there, there's no plug for the lamp. So, no, that's... Oh, just hang them up in the hall closet, Toddy, will you please? Uh, both armors? Oh. That sounds like an uncomfortable way to spend the morning. <laughs> Mr. Merriweather, good morning. <laughs> and Mr. Wellman. Yeah, Mr. Uh, Falk. You'll never guess what I thought you were, Mr. Wellman. What? A pink skirt. <laughs> Clarence, you've been called some pretty colorful things in your time Blue nose, a red menace, a green-eyed monster, and a black pirate But a pink skirt <laughs> Sorry to disappoint you, Mrs. Hall uh, Sit down, sit down, gentlemen <laughs> Well, hate to barge in on you like this on Saturday morning, folks For two reasons I don't like to be a nuisance and I'd rather be playing golf but, Doctor, I wanted to talk to you before the board meeting this afternoon. It's about the beautification program. I thought the board had already approved the plan. Well, one thing we left out. Nobody's ever settled the question of Emerson Hall. Now, I feel... Just a minute, were... Merriweather. What? I said just a minute. Why? Because I want to say something. <laughs> Heaven forbid. As you know, I have stood back of the beautification program. I have stood behind it from the beginning. Four square. 
Four square? You? Yes, me. You are one square who has stood up against everything. <laughs> this is no time for jokes, Merriweather. Who's joking? There are some forces who want to carry this program to the extreme. When they propose to destroy Emerson Hall with its weathered boards and ancient walls, they threaten to destroy the hallowed heritage of Ivy itself. Who wrote that speech for you, Clarence? <laughs> History wrote it. History, Merriweather. Generations of Ivy graduates who have passed through the portals of this vulnerable, I mean, venerable building. <laughs> the years they have... Oh, seen... shut up, Clarence. <laughs> Save it for the board. Anytime you start shedding tears, it's a sure thing somebody's water rates go up. <laughs> if there was ever such a thing as a sincere crocodile, you're it. This is a very serious situation. It is ridiculous that I should constantly be interrupted. I do not propose to permit this type of... Uh, Mr. Wellman... What is it? Um, do, do I understand that you are actually fighting for the existence of Emerson Hall... On the basis of such an abstract value as its tradition? What's the matter with tradition, Dr. Hall? Just what, just what may I ask? Oh, nothing. <laughs> I, I'm in favor of it. Well, everybody knows how I feel. I'm all for tradition, per se, but not to the extent of breaking my neck in it. I think we need a brand new building. Uh, needless waste of money. Uh, but that's beside the point. Quite beside the point. We have embarked on beautifying a campus, and you suggest that we destroy one of its greatest beauties. Not to mention the needless waste of money, sheer waste. That's what it is. Have you taken a good look at Emerson lately, Clarence? Or couldn't you see it through your tears of reverence for our classical tradition? Yes, I've seen it, Merriweather, and I expect to keep on looking at it for a great many years to come. <laughs> well, gentlemen... <laughs> now, I, I realize we all have to come to a decision. The one thing we agreed on with regard to our beautification program was that it must be comprehensive. It doesn't do to change things piecemeal. <laughs> I learned that this morning by changing a picture from one wall to another. Let's fight it to a finish this afternoon. That's good with me. Now, come on, Clarence. Let's go. Uh, very well. Good day, Dr. Hall. Mrs. Hall. Goodbye, Doctor. And, Mrs. Hall, next time I promise to call only for purely personal reasons. You'll find me on the steps... Damp violets in my hand and a look of shy adoration on my merry weather beaten face. <laughs> you don't need any reason, Mr. Merriweather. We always enjoy seeing you with or without violets. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, gentlemen. See you at two o'clock. Toddy, I've been thinking about this room now that we've moved the sofa. I know. We really started something, didn't we? But to quote myself, it doesn't do to change things piecemeal. Now, that must be the key. Now, I'll go. How do you do? I am from the phone company. Oh, yes. Well, come in. It's the man from the phone company, Toddy. Oh? Is he here to put one in or take one out? I uh, understood you wanted a longer extension cord, Dr. Hall. Well, he, he doesn't really want one, but he's getting awfully tired of lying on his stomach in his study trying to reach the telephone. Yes. <laughs> I can just barely touch it with the tips of my fingers. Aggravating. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine it is. I wouldn't advise a longer extension, though. You wouldn't? No, ma'am. Personally, I'm against long extension cords. They look awful, you trip on them, they strangle babies and dogs. You never can find the phone. You can say that again. Personally, I'm against long extension cords. They look awful. Uh, uh, Mr. Um, uh, Park. Park. 
I just call me Central. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Park, uh, what would you suggest in place of the cord? Well, move the phone box. It's much simpler and less expensive, and you don't run any risks that way. Uh, let me take a look at that cord. Yes, here it is. You just start at the phone and follow it along, and when you get to the wall, stop. Thank you, ma'am. Well, how does it look? Well, let's see here now. The dial, the dial dials too fast. Uh, that, that's an easy fix. But I don't like the looks of that old cord. Well, yeah, I know. I've tried everything, but it just keeps on snarling. Well, I'm not worried about the snarls. Oh. Uh, have you got a minute? Yes. Have you got a minute? Yeah, I'd like to show you something. <laughs> uh, you too, Dr. Hall. Mm-hmm. Now, take a look right here. Uh, you see that insulation? Uh, where the wire goes into the box. Uh-huh. A couple of more jerks on that and crash, bam, boom, fuse. Yes. How is that again? Well, you're just real fortunate I got here in time, Mrs. Hall. Fuse, short circuit, clang, 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 fire. <laughs> we have been living dangerously, haven't we? I suppose that wouldn't happen if we had a new and longer extension cord. Well, it'll happen with any kind of cord. And the longer it is, the more there is to trip over. I've never been in favor of long extension cords. Yes. <laughs> you, you said that, um, Central. I, I mean, Mr. Park. But uh, but I need a phone in my study. Why not install it in the simplest possible way? Well, just give the man the order, Doctor, and sis boom ba. The job's done. Uh, where's the study? Do re me in there. <laughs> See, I don't know if this will work or not. Oh, fine. I, Nothing uh, like a specialist. I guess maybe I'll have to install another outlet. So, do you have to have that desk there, Dr. Hall? Well, I'm used to it there. I don't want to ruin your life, but I'd like to keep it. <laughs> okay. But it ain't good. Isn't. That's sure right. It sure ain't. <laughs> You got some pliers? Well, we have a pair in the kitchen. They need a little dental work on the teeth, though. Look, did, did you just come out with suggestions, young man, or did you bring a toolkit as well? I got some here I guess I can use. Now, I won't bother you folks anymore. I'll be through here in a jiffy. One, two, three. Well, we'll be in the living room if you need us, Mr. Park. Four, five, six. <laughs> he seems to be serious enough about his business. I hope he knows what he's doing. But he sounds as if he does. Sounds. That's the most accurate description, Vicky. I've never heard stranger sounds than Wowie. he uses to... Whammo! Whammo! You see what I mean? <laughs> I see what you mean. That outburst probably means that he has discovered that my study is bounded by four walls. <laughs> Which reminds me of Mr. Wellman, and I cannot think why. Yes, but I can. He said it. Weathered boards, ancient walls, hallowed heritage. He's dreadfully miscast in that role. Doesn't sound at all right coming from him. <laughs> One man's cliché can be another man's conviction. <laughs> I'm rather sensitive about Emerson Hall myself, Vicky. It's practically the first thing I remember about Ivy. Dr. Palmer, he was president then, looking down on all us huddled and overawed freshmen gathered together in Emerson to hear his greetings that first staggering week of mm. college. Did you stagger as a Frenchman, darling? 
I, oh, I just wobbled as a freshman. I staggered as a sophomore. I fell flat on my face as a junior and crawled gloriously through my senior year. Well, at least I hope you're standing up straight at graduation. Yes, with the, with the staunch support of the proscenium arch of Emerson Hall. So you see, darling, life as an undergraduate began and ended for me in Emerson. Naturally, any judgment I might have about its survival or destruction will be highly colored by grateful memories. Uh, Dr. Hall, uh, excuse me, but have you got a minute? Uh-oh. Something I want to show you. Something else? Well, it, it's not trouble, is it, Mr. Park? Well, it's never trouble with a telephone company, Mrs. Hall. That's nice to know. It's news, too. <laughs> Just look at here. Look at that. Ain't she a beaut? She? <laughs> I don't know, Mr. Park. Where is she? Right there. Look at that box. Look at those screws. Oh, rusty, aren't they? Well, of course, they've been there a long time. What's that uh, spot on the wall? That's her, Doc. Ain't she a beaut? That's where the box was. Well, put it back. The spot looks awful. No, that's too dangerous. I'm sure happy for you that I came out today. Now, look, now, let's all be happy with you, Mr. Park. What is that spot on the wall? Feel the wall, Mrs. Hall. Feel it. You got seepage. I have seepage. <laughs> well, I'll have the plumber in at once. Wait a minute, Dr. Hall. No, no, don't, don't tell us this anymore. Well, actually, I, I can't be sure. Well, can't be sure of what, for heaven's sake? Well, after all, I'm a telephone man. I don't have all this information at my fingertips. I'm just observant, that's all. Mr. Park. Yes, sir? Would you mind telling us what you're talking about? I'd be pleased to. The truth is, Dr. Hall, <laughs> you got a big fat case of dry rot. Surround us here today. As we return to Ivy, Dr. and Mrs. Hall are waiting for the young man from the telephone company who's been exploring the nether regions of their house. He's been down in the basement an awfully long time, Toddy. Could something have happened to him? I was just wondering if something could have happened to us. Why should we accept him as an authority of dry rot? He's from the telephone company. That is, we... Vicky... How do we know he's from the telephone company? Well, if you're really dubious, I'll call the phone company and check on him. <laughs> With the box dismantled. <laughs> hmm, dismantled. Remarkable young man. I'll get it. Hello? No, he's not. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> Who was it? Wrong number. <laughs> Excuse me, I heard the phone ring. Uh, was it for me? Yes. Uh, no, I don't think it was. It was a wrong number. Oh. See, Dr. Hall, have you got a minute? Oh, no. <laughs> it's later than you think, Mr. Park. Uh, what is it now? Oh, it's nothing. Nothing at all. At least there's nothing to get worried about. Guess what I found down in the basement? You didn't, uh, You didn't come across my old fishing rod, did you? No. Guess again. I know. My scrapbooks, they've been lost for years. No. 
Want to try again? No, Mr. Park, I don't. I obviously do not get the refrigerator nor the vacuum cleaner, and I am certainly not going to try for six packages of your product, whatever it is. Okay. Come on down and I'll show you. Now, there's one thing you can be happy about. At this point, Mr. Park, when you say that, I feel myself getting pale and starting to shake like a leaf. You've got a well-built house here. Good, solid beams. Fine bracing and plenty of studs. All in the right places. Yes, except when I try to hang a picture. <laughs> it looks wonderful down here. It reminds me of an old English house. Everything secure and substantial. Yes, I should think it's a pretty good foundation. Sure. That's why it makes me boil when I see things like this plumbing ears. It's a disgrace. Three-quarter inch pipe. Well, that's why we had that trouble with the kitchen sink. Well, you're going to have more trouble, Mrs. Hall. <laughs> uh, Mr. Mr. Park. Yes, sir? Did you ever hear of a man called Frankenstein? Who? Can't say as I have. Does Wait. Dracula ring a bell in your subconscious? No, sir. I've only had freshman courses. Uh, you could pass a master's degree in bloodletting. Now, what is the matter with our kitchen sink? Oh. Well, it may go along all right for a while, but one day you're going to wake up and you'll be eating breakfast in a rowboat. Well, you sound even happier about that than you did about the dry rot. Well, it isn't so bad. You certainly weren't planning to live in this house very long, were you, Dr. Hall? I was thinking of it, yes. But, of course, eating breakfast in a rowboat could change my thinking. Well, if you're going to stay here, I'd have the wiring checked over you're sure lucky I came out. Uh, Mr. Park, would it be out of line if I asked you what you brought us down here to see? Certainly not. What I found out here today... Oh, brother, what I've saved you. I got here just in time. Gee, you're lucky. <laughs> the lucky holes. Here we go again. I was hoping I wouldn't find any. But with these old houses, you almost always do. Oh, it isn't. It, is it? Yes, Mrs. Hall. Your dry rod has turned out to be termites. Gentlemen, uh, we still have the most important item on the and agenda. Mr. Chairman. I haven't mentioned what it is yet, Mr. Merriweather. We all know what it is, Clarence. It's Amerson Hall. I want to say that I personally have nothing against Emerson. Except but I, that you want to tear it down. As it stands now, it's a hazard to life and limb. I'm only concerned with the safety of the students. I am concerned with the tradition of think. You're concerned with the money, Clarence, and you know it. Merriweather, sit down. And furthermore... Uh, Mr. Chairman... Yes, Dr. Hall. I agree with you, Mr. Wellman, that Emerson Hall represents a cherished tradition. And I agree with you, Mr. Merriweather, that it constitutes a danger to its occupants. By an unhappy coincidence, I, uh, I found out today that another building on the campus of Ivy, also of traditional value, is in a perilous condition, too. I would like to make a motion that we, that we consider what is to be done with this edifice along with Emerson Hall. What building are you talking about, Dr. Hall? Uh, the house I live in. Why? Oh, I paid an exorbitant price only a year ago for painting and redecorating that house. Yes, and Emerson Hall has been painted any number of times in recent years. But only the outside, Mr. Wellman. The danger lies deep inside. I understand, for instance, that Emerson's got termites. You're dead right, Doctor. You can hear him buzzing all the way out to my house. <laughs> well, my house has termites, too. Now, isn't it a fact that 
Emerson's plumbing needs repair? It certainly does. So does mine. But Emerson Hall, just like the house that is assigned to me as president, has a good foundation and a sturdy frame. With age, oh, they've both developed a few aches and pains, but they can be fixed. There are generations of hopes and dreams, of study and achievement that have been absorbed in them. There are things associated with Emerson Hall and the President's house that cannot be rebuilt. The question is, are they worth saving? Gentlemen, I think they are. Tony, is that you? I'm here, in the living room. Hello, darling. Why, why Vicky, look at this room. What happened? Oh, it all got so complicated. I put everything back where it was in the first place. <laughs> all except Grandfather. He looks the same anywhere. Hmm. Did Park ever get around to fixing the phone? Yeah, he fixed it. How? Twelve more feet of extension cord. It's all over the house. We can skip with it any time you have a free moment and a feeling of abandon. You should, as the saying goes, live so long. <laughs> oh, the cleaner. I was afraid he wouldn't get here today after all. I'll get it, Toddy. All right. Now, where did he... Put the phone. It's not, uh, No. Uh-uh, here you are. William, uh, Mr. Park would like to see you. Uh, excuse me, Dr. Hall, but have you got a minute? <laughs> Mr. Park, I may be leading with my chin. I may be inviting certain disaster. I know I'm asking for it, but yes, I have a minute. Well, the reason I came back is I was really trying to make an impression on you... You did, Mr. Park. You see, once I had big ideas about being a construction engineer. I started college, but then there was a war and I never got back again. I've always wanted to. But did you... Did you expect that I might help you get a fresh start? That was the idea. I, I've learned as much as I can with my present job, and I know I need a foundation as, as much as a house does. I thought maybe you'd use your influence Everybody and... talks about starting from the bottom of the ladder, but I've never heard of anybody before trying to get into college through the basement. <laughs> well, it at least deserves encouragement. Besides, Ivy is indebted to you indirectly. It's worth a try. Call me Monday morning and I'll put you in touch with Professor Cummings, head of our engineering school. No, 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 on second thoughts, I might as well call him now. Excuse me. I'd be willing to take any kind of examination or... You any... passed a pretty stiff one right here in this house today. <laughs> That's... That's funny. That's, that's really funny. <laughs> no, no, don't tell me, William. Absolutely no sound at all. <laughs> Nothing but deep, inscrutable silence. Uh, uh, Mr. Park, have you got a minute? You're right. You need fresh interests. You've spent enough time with the telephone company. The phone is out of order. <laughs> Here again are Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. Good night, everyone. Good night. We'll be seeing you next week at the same time at the Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. The other players were Herbert Butterfield, Gail Gordon, and Robert Easton. Tonight's script was written by Milton, Barbara Merlin, and Don Quinn. Music was composed and conducted by Henry Russell. The Halls of Ivy was created by Don Quinn, directed by Nat Wolfe, and presented by the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Ken Carpenter speaking.
He's lovable. He's the great Gildersleeve, next on NBC. From October 11, 1950, that was Ronald Coleman and his wife, Benita Hume, in the Halls of Ivy. name of that episode was Phone Problems. Lots of phone problems in the 50s. I can remember our family, probably until I was 11 or 12, having a party line. Very common. I think you had to pay a real premium to have a private line. I think sometimes you even had to be in a profession where you you had to be able to be reached like a physician or a policeman or something like that. We had some girls that lived next door to us that uh, were about my age. And so it was great fun for my friends to come over and we would listen to them on the party line. And the way you would do it, these were rotary phones. You would dial like three with, with the receiver still on the hook. So you would hold it there, so then you could take the receiver off the hook. Then you could press down the, the hook so that it was as though the phone was hung up. Are you following me here? This I know this is technical stuff, but I, I'm teaching you something here. So then what you would do while one person kept their finger on the hook, you would unscrew the plastic that covered the uh, mouthpiece on the bottom and you would take out the metal mouthpiece in the receiver, and then you would screw the plastic back on. Now, nobody could hear you, so you could, you could lift up on the, on the receiver, and you, could li- and you could listen to the girls talking to their friends, you see. And they couldn't hear you. They had no idea. The only thing they would hear would be a little click, but you couldn't hear anybody breathing or anything like that. Of course, the down part was that they did it to you, too. But party lines, isn't that interesting? Long extension cords and party lines. And, oh, and then, of course, the other thing was parents were always complaining because their kids were on the phone all the time. Because you only had one line coming into the house. Everybody didn't have their own line. And phones were fairly expensive then. Remember how much long distance used to be? That used to be a big deal. Long distance. Oh, my, I have to call long distance. Oh, don't call during the day. And sometimes they really were expensive. Some of those calls during the day might be, if you were calling Los Angeles to New York, it might be 65, 75 cents a minute. And that's back when people were making, what did we say the other week, $300, $400 a month. So you would call after 9 p.m. or 10 p.m., whatever it was, when the rates would go down to like 10 cents a minute. But it was still very expensive. I can remember when Carol and I were dating, I was living in New York City and she was living in Illinois. And uh, we could only talk to each other once a week because it was just too expensive. We were both, you know, didn't have a lot of money. But I can still remember parents complaining about uh, the kids dominating the phone because nobody could call in. And then, of course, other people on the party line were upset about it. So what a difference. What a difference today when everybody has their own cell phone. Some people have two or three phones. Hello? Who's that speaking, please? I'm on a party line, wondering all the time, who's on the other end? Is she big, is she small, is she a she at all?
That was The Kinks, as originally heard back in the 70s, early 70s, because Party Lines weren't around too much longer after that. But, uh, of course, the name of that tune was Party Line. All right, changing things down a little bit. Here's a song I always like to play in the fall because it reminds me of a good friend we used to have over at Yesterday USA, Dr. Dale, and we lost him. I think it was in the month of October. That must be because that's why I always think of this song in the fall. This is John Denver singing about West Virginia, Dr. Dale's beloved home state. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is older, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, growing like a breeze. Country roads, take me home. in the morning hours she calls me <laughs> 
No. No! Music indicates it is time for gun smoke, everybody, but are you ready to walk down Front Street in Dodge City, Kansas, back in 1874? Are you ready to buddy up with Marshal Matt Dillon and keep the townspeople safe, including Doc and Kitty and Chester, and all the folks we have come to love and know so well on Gunsmoke? Tonight we have an episode that goes back to September 17, 1955. It features, besides our regular stellar all-star cast, it features John Daner, Lawrence Dopkin, and Harry Bartell. And the name of this episode is Thoroughbreds. Brought to you by L&M Filters. This is it. L&M is best. Stands out from all the rest. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Smoke, starring William Conrad, the transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America, and the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man, Matt Dillon, United States Marshal, the first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely.
I've been on longer rides, Mr. Dillon, but I can't remember any no dryer. Yeah, there's probably water in those cottonwoods over there, Chester. They'd better be. Of course, um, I haven't been by here in maybe a year. Oh, my, now don't say that, Mr. <laughs> Dillon. Uh, hey, look. Uh, oh, there's water, all right. Yeah, horses, two of them. Oh, sure. They wouldn't be in there otherwise, would they? No, not likely. Hey, those aren't range horses, either. No, sir, they sure ain't. Oh, them's the most beautiful animals I ever saw. Hey, there's a man with them. Yeah. He's gonna saddle up. Say, he's awful well decked out for a cowboy, ain't he? Well, he sure looks better than we do. Come on. I ain't shaved in a week. Yeah, we'll be in Dodge tomorrow, Chester. Hello! You don't act very cordial. Yeah. All right, let's get on, Chester. Looking for water. Over there. Uh, turn them loose, Chester. They'll find it. Yes, sir. Come on, get. That's a mighty fine pair of horses you got there, mister. They're all right. All right. Oh, them horses got blood in them if I ever seen it. So have I. And I'll fight anybody for these horses. Anybody at all. Oh, now look, mister, we aren't after your horses. We're only admiring them. Hey, tell me something. Yeah. You ever shoot a man in the back? What? I said, did you ever shoot a man in the back? Well, I don't know who you think I am, mister, but I never shot anybody in the back. I believe you. Hey, wait a minute. I said I believe you, didn't I? Well, he's chancing we're going to shoot him, Mr. Dillon. Look at him go. Come on, we better hurry. No, Chester. Yeah, but he'll get away. We can't stop him, not on those tired animals of ours and him with a pair of thoroughbreds. Well, we can track him. He's a sure enough horse thief. He's headed straight for Dodge, Chester. We'll find him there. Uh, right now, let's get us a little of that water. found him, Mr. Dillon. Oh, where, Chester? Moss Grimmick's stable. He rode in yesterday. He ain't even trying to hide him. Uh-huh. You, uh, sure it's the same, too? Oh, I'd know him anywhere. Besides, that wine glass brand stands out like a pulled gat at a picnic. <laughs> okay, Chester. Um, you keep an eye on the street here. I'll start with the long branch. See you All later, right. Thank <laughs> you. 
kidding. How long you been back? Oh, just long enough to get cleaned up a little bit. Huh? Have you been? No, you didn't come here to ask me that, did you? <laughs> well, not entirely, no. <laughs> Something going on, Matt? Uh, Kitty, I'm looking for a man who came to Dodge yesterday with a pair of thoroughbreds. He's tall and, uh, well, he wears about the finest clothes that have been seen around here since Bill Hickok was last in town. Uh-huh. His name's Portis, Matt. Jack Portis. Ah, oh, I thought you might know him. <laughs> the only man I ever came to Dodge that I didn't meet never quite got here. What? <laughs> I'm sorry, I lost your trail there, Kitty. Oh, I'm thinking of that cowboy who got shot just outside of town last year. Oh. oh. You remember? Yeah, yeah, I remember. I, uh, I'm more interested in Jack Portis, so. Oh. Well, I, I don't know much about him. Except that he's a real free spender, and he's already made himself a lot of friends. Uh-huh. Nobody can pay for a drink when he's around. He got money, too, huh? Well, besides those horses, you mean. I hear they're pretty fancy animals, Matt. Yeah, real fancy, Kitty. Well, nothing's too good for Portis. Oh, Matt? Yeah, I see you. How are you, Kitty? Portis? Hello. I see nobody's shot you in the back yet, Portis. Oh. Anybody got a reason to? You know my name, but I don't know yours, mister. It's Dillon. Marshal Dillon. Hmm. <laughs> I'll be darned. Why didn't you say so out there? Yeah, you were in too big a hurry for much visiting. The way you two men looked, I wasn't taking chances. How'd I know you weren't going to shoot me for them horses? Uh-huh. Did uh, you shoot somebody for him? So that's what you're thinking. Where'd you get him, Portis? I raised him. Where? High on a spread on the Washita River, Marshal. Oklahoma Territory? That's right. That's a long way from here. Oh, I ride off every once in a while, spend some money, have a little fun. No harm in that. Sure. Now, you're saying that the wine glass is your brand, huh? Of course it is. Look here. Got a burn right on my hat band. Uh, see? Uh-huh. You believe me now? It could be true. You're about the most suspicious man I ever met. Well, I'm paid to be. Sure. I understand. Uh, buy your drink now? Some other time, huh? It'll be my pleasure. So long, Marshal. I'll see you later, Kitty. Sure. Don't you believe him, Matt? Yeah, I guess I do, Kitty. Oh, but you're not real sure, huh? It could be that he's just a whole lot smarter than I am. <laughs> Doc. Hey, Doc. Oh, hello, Chester. And Matt. Come on, sit down, Doc. Yeah, how are sit you? Sit down. Yeah. <laughs> now, we just finished, but you can have our table. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, what'd you eat? 
We had the chicken, but stay away from it, Doc. Oh, is that so, Chester? It's no good, huh? Oh, it tasted like it'd been boiled with the feathers on. Oh, well, I, I never heard of cooking chicken that way. Say, that might be worth trying. All right, you don't leave me. Go right ahead. <laughs> no, 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 Chester. When it comes to food, you can be trusted completely. Uh-oh, well, who's having the party over there? That's Jack Porter's, as usual. Porter, oh, that fella. Even at noon, huh? He's been here a whole week, and he hasn't lacked for company one second of it. Oh, a man who spends money the way he does picks up friends like a dog does fleas. Well, he's bound to run out of money one of these days. Yes, I hear he hasn't gone into a saloon yet without buying drinks for the house. You know, a man like that could maybe be president someday. Oh, now, Chester, you don't seem to hold the highest office in the land in much esteem, Chester. Well, now, I like Portis, Doc. He's a fine fellow. I was talking about how you think a man becomes president. Well, getting folks to like him is one way, ain't it? (laughs) Well, I won't argue with that. No, no. Well, I can't sit here all day and listen to you two. It's not likely you'd learn anything worthwhile if you did. I better go, too, I guess. Thanks for your advice about the chicken, Chester. Oh, that's okay, Doctor. So long. So long, Doc. Dylan? Yeah, Chester. If you haven't got nothing for me to do, I might go on down to the depot later on. Oh? Uh-huh. Well, you can go now if you like. No, oh, no, it, it's too early. Santa Fe ain't due in till mid-afternoon. Oh, I see. Well, well, go then. I, I wouldn't want a train to arrive without you being there to greet it, you know. Well, no, it ain't a pure waste. You never know who might get off one these days. <laughs> Pretty girl, maybe, huh? Now, now, I'm serious, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, now, but what I mean is... The... Hey, look, there's them thoroughbreds across the street there. Oh, yeah. Who's the boy leading them? Uh, Myron Marweedle. He's a kid Portis hired to give him a run once in a mm-hmm. while. Well, you can't say he doesn't take good care of them. No, sir. There's Portis coming now. He's going to show them off to his friends. Yeah, he's got a right to be proud of them. My, I wished I was rich like him. I hear he's got two rooms at the Dodge house, just in case he runs into somebody who needs a bed. <laughs> well, now, there's a real friend for you. Hey, look at him rare. Right yeah, that's all horse. I seen him, I tell you. Don't yell about it. I believe Well, I want you to know it's... Well, you sure take up a lot of room. Oh, I'm sorry. Don't start trouble, Burke. I'm starting no trouble. He was standing in the way. A man stands in your way. You got a right to move him, ain't you? Is that fella drunk or just ornery? I don't know. Have you seen him around here before, Chester? Mm-mm. They're strangers to me. And from the looks of them, I'd just soon keep it that way. Yeah, well, you've got your choice. What? They're getting mounted. Looks like they're moving on. Mm. Hey, those are pretty fair horses they got, too. Hey, Chester. Yes, sir? Did you see those brands? Why, them's wine glass horses, too. Yeah. Hey! Men! Hold it! Uh, they don't hear you. All right, let's go get our horses. We'll follow them. Well, now, what about Portis? We ought to tell him. They didn't tell him. Come on.
That's a camp they got there, Mr. Dillon. They ain't trying to run. No. Doggone if I can figure it. Yeah, they've seen us. Okay, we'll ride right up to them, Chester. Yes, sir. fellas we've seen in town. Yeah. You looking for something, mister? What's your friend's name, Burke? My name's Keller. Not that I take to strangers asking. Well, there's no need for us to be strangers. There's just a proud foot. I'm Matt Dillon. Dillon? We're the marshal. Yeah, that's right. What are you doing down here, marshal? What'd you follow us for? I got interested in your horses. Why? Now, there's a man in Dodge with two wine glass horses. Yeah, we know that. Well, all right, keep talking, Burke. Go ahead, tell him. All right. That's Jack Porter's. And he stole them horses, Marshal. Stole some money, too. Uh Um? Where? An outfit down on the Red River. Oklahoma Territory? Sure. Whose outfit? My uncle's. He killed him, Marshal. Yeah. He killed Burke's uncle, and he run off with what money he could find in them two thoroughbreds. And we followed him here. Long trail, but we found him. I see. Now, what do you aim to do now? Aim to take him. What else? Well, what are you waiting for? We're figuring a way to do it. Yeah. The smart one, that Porter. Why didn't you come to me about this? Well, ordinarily we would have, Marshal. What do you mean? Well, you think we'd ride all this way after nothing but a horse thief had stolen a little money? Now, Keller told you. He killed my uncle, Marshal. That makes it different. Not to me, it doesn't. Well, it ain't your kin he killed. You stay here, Burke. Both of you stay here. You can ride back and see Portis in a half an hour. He'll be at the jail. Dodge House, he ain't at the Lady Gag, and he ain't at the Texas Trail. Yeah, we'll go down to the Long Branch next, Chester. Sure going to be a surprise when he finds out his game is up, ain't it? Hey, what's that crowd doing down there? I don't know. Uh-oh. They're spreading out. Must be a fight, Mr. Jones. Yeah, come on. Hey, it's that fellow Burke. See him? I should have left you to watch him. There's Keller, too. And Portis. Oh, looks like they killed him. Yeah. All right, stay back, Chester. Yes, sir, I will. All right, let's let Marshal. You got to stand back. Yes, sir. Did you kill him, Burke? It was my job, Marshal. 
I told you that. And you ain't going to arrest me for it. No. For it is Drew first, Marshal. It was self-defense. I didn't see it. Asked anybody who did see it. All right. No. Wait. They may be friends of his. They're alive. They weren't friends of his a minute ago. They didn't back him up, did they? Well, it's different now. They'll back him up now. You're in bad trouble, Clerk. Mr. Dillon? Yeah, what, Chester? What are you doing here, Kitty? Hello, Matt. She's seen the whole thing. She was standing right over there, Mr. Dillon, and she says... All right, all right, Chester. Let's hear it from her. Yes, sir. Oh, wait a minute. How do we know she ain't a, a friend of his, too? She'd tell the truth even if she was. All right, go ahead, Kitty. What happened? Well, I didn't hear what was said, Matt, but I saw what happened plain enough. And? It looked like he was calling Portis out, and then Portis went for his gun. Burke shot him. Yeah. And it was self-defense. I told you that, Marshal. I wasn't lying. There wouldn't have been a killing if he had stayed in camp like I told you. Well, the murderer died sooner or later. Burke. Yeah. You go on back to Oklahoma, and you stay there. I'm taking them horses with me. Take them. Take them and get out. Come on, Burke, let's go. Yeah, sure. Fortis was a bad one after all, huh? Yeah, I guess so, Kitty. If he hadn't been guilty, there'd have been no reason for him to draw first. He didn't seem bad. Well, you never know, Kitty. You just never know. I had Chester go through Porter's pockets, and he found he hardly had enough money left to pay for a coffin. So his big party had been about over anyway. But at least he'd had a fine time while it lasted. And everybody who'd enjoyed it with him felt even though he was a killer, it was better he got shot than hung. And that was the end of it. Except for one thing. And we didn't find out about that until a week later. Merciful goodness, it is just plain miserable out there, Mr. Dillon. Oh, what is it, Chester? The sun, the dust, and the heat. Why don't you stay inside? I'm going to, now. Now, where you been? After the mail. Here. Ah. Ah. There's not much here. Now, wait a minute. What's this? Oh, uh, well, that's for Jack Portis. There ain't no address on it where they could send it back to, so I said maybe I'd ought to bring it to you. Well, I don't know what to do with it. Well, uh, it might say inside where you could send it back to. I don't like opening mail, Chester, especially that of a dead man. Well, what are we going to do with it, then? Now, wait a minute. Whoever wrote this doesn't know he's dead. And I guess it's up to me to tell him. I'll open it. Hmm. 
What's the matter, Mr. Dillon? by now and are on your way back to the wine glass. Things is fine here except the Washita's near dry and a couple of horses got stole. But they was not thoroughbreds. I'm keeping two pots of coffee on the stove in case you show up unexpected. Dugan. Oh my goodness. Well, I made a bad mistake, Chester. Yes, sir. But Portis made one, too. How? Drawing first made him look guilty to us. But what happened was that he counted on his friends to back him up against those two. Mm, that Burke and Keller. They're mighty bold the way they rode in here and got by with that. Yeah, we'll get a circler out on him right away. Yes, sir. And I'll write his man, Dugan. What are you telling, Mr. Dillon? And I'll tell him two more wine glass horses got stolen. Thoroughbreds this time. Directed by Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Bill James and Ray Kemper. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Lawrence Dobkin, and Harry Bartell. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. What are you doing to help your children's education? Do not wait for the other fellow. Get in there and join your local organizations fighting for better schools. Maybe a year from now, you'll have done something to help. Ask your friends and neighbors to join in the fight for the future. different Gunsmoke show tonight on your local CBS television station. Remember, Gunsmoke on TV tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And be sure and listen to Gunsmoke again on radio next week, transcribed for L&M Filters. As originally heard on CBS back on September the 17th in 1955. 1955, my goodness, long time ago, folks. That was Gunsmoke, and the name of that episode was Thoroughbreds. More Gunsmoke next week.
train whistle blowing makes a sleepy noise underneath their blankets go all the girls and boys rock and roll and riding out along the bay all bound for morning town many Judy's at the engine Tony rings the bell Seymour swings the lantern To show that all is well It is raining Where our train will ride All the little travelers Are warm and snug inside Limelighters featuring Glenn Yarbrough and Morning Town Ride. Well, it's time to gather up all the shows and put them back in the vault. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. Oh, come on. Don't start again. No crying. We'll be back in two weeks. We'll do it all over again. We'll have another Comedy Corner show, another comedy show. We'll have another episode of Gunsmoke. We'll have an adventure show or a private eye show or radio noir or some good thing like that. And we'll, and we'll do it all over again. All right. I am out of here. 
Uh, do come back and visit us in two weeks. In the meantime, this is Bob Rowe. I am so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met me. Thank you.